great gowns, beautiful gowns. Hi, I'm Lauren Garoni. I'm Chelsea Fairless. And welcome to the Call Her Daddy podcast. <laughs> Hi, what does she call her? Hi, Daddy Gang. Hi, Daddy Gang. Ugh, our, I hate it. All right, Spotify, give us $60 million now. I know. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Nothing of interest to report to you or the podcast. What did you do this week? Well, something very traumatic happened to me. I'll have you know. Are you okay? No, I'm fine. I mean, I made a really ill-advised decision to go to a comedy showcase at the Laugh Factory because Sam Jay was on the bill. Well, that sounds nice. It sounds nice, but I immediately regretted my choice when I walked in there. Like, it looked like very MAGA. Everyone, like every chick there looked like Marjorie Taylor Greene. I thought to myself, like, fuck, did I really survive Jordan Firstman's super spreader birthday party only to get the delta variant from these fucking clowns like honestly is he gonna make a shirt that says i survived jordan firstman's super spreader birthday party oh i'm sure he's already gotten it made so it's like every comic is worse than the last like everyone's material is super outdated because it's about me too and covid and like really bad impressions of Caitlyn Jenner, which two separate like straight guys did. Tout and I honestly were like, Lauren's impression is is much better. Do you think I have a career in comedy? I should I mean, put down this bullshit. <laughs> You're definitely better than like these people at the Laugh Factory. Oh thanks. So then like the MC Oh thanks. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Chelsea. Ba- thanks, Chelsea. <laughs> See yours is so good. <laughs> Um, Okay, what happened? So then they say we have a special guest. He's sold out Madison Square Garden. So I was like... Chris Rock? Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, Chris Rock, Eddie Murphy, please. Like, something like that. Fucking Dane Cook, Lauren. I fucking paid... I gave someone money to see Dan Cook do like 35... Is that his name? Dan Cook, not Dan. Don't sell like Dan Savage's name. Whatever his name is. I saw him do stand-up. It was really traumatic. And like, I don't know if you've seen Dane Cook lately, but he looks like two Pomeranians away from Mickey Rourke. I think that's an insult to Mickey Rourke. The fillers are insane. The fillers are moving. They're migrating. They're migrating. The fillers are migrating. He they're, was, they're embarrassed by his stand-up. He was, he was wearing a very tight, like, V-neck t-shirt, which, I mean, fuck the Delta variant. That's, like, the real epidemic is in this country, which is, like, men wearing, like, tight V-neck t-shirts. You're like, get a Henley, honey. Get a crew neck. Get a crew neck. So yeah. you didn't enjoy his stand-up. I didn't. I didn't love. I didn't love. Were you like, well, now I see why his brother stole all his money. I know. Exactly. Exactly. I'm starting to understand him more. I mean, look, I have not heard great things about him. Uh, I will fully admit that in 2005, for about six months, like everyone else, I thought he was the funniest person in the world. But how? I don't know, man. It was crazy. Bush was president. We were all out of our minds then. But I have to imagine it's quite the mindfuck to literally for six months to a year burn white hot and then seemingly all at the same time we were all like, fuck this person. Yeah. Is that like when Twitter came out? I mean, it's all within the same time, but (laughs) it seems like there would be some overlap. 
but there's definitely some some anger and bitterness and like the last time i checked in with dane cook was some us weekly article where it was him with the fillers and his 19 year old girlfriend of which he has a 26 year age gap with no judgment although that is the celine dion renee age gap is 26 years i guess why do i know this because i was also in a 26 year age gap relationship oh of course i guess in my mind i judge things by like my top is kind of the michael douglas Catherine zeta jones 25 years a quarter of a century is is long enough um well you made it out alive and i did i did i'm hoping you got a covid test before you came here Actually, no, but Tat has had one since, so. We employ the transitive property of COVID tests because Tat is tested so often. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And we are all in one pod. So, and just like that, filming continued this week. Yes, on Friday, the entire cast was seen during a night shoot. A Broadway theater was doubling for the Manhattan School of Music. So are the kids in college? I think it was some sort of high school graduation situation. I thought that too, but then I looked at the the sign uh, against the theater and it said Manhattan School of Music, which is a college. Yeah, but sometimes like in New York, they have, you go somewhere else for your graduation. That's true. You, you know what I mean? Like I graduated somewhere else. I yeah, gra- exactly. That's what it is. They- <laughs> I went to such a normal high school. I graduated at the Disney Concert Hall. Oh, Wow. Wow, that was like Tat um, doing her recitals at the Sydney Opera House. (laughs) It's like, what for these fucking schools? And we got a bunch of cast announcements since we all saw them in these paparazzi photos. I guess they were like, oh shit, we should tell them that uh, there are going to be all new actors playing uh, these characters. So Kathy Ang will be playing Lily Goldenblatt, Alexis Swinton as Rose Goldenblatt, Niall Cunningham as Brady Hobbs Brady, and then Cree Cushino? I totally got that wrong. Stars is Brady's girlfriend, Luisa Torres. So I guess no Lily Goldenblatt, Brady Hobbs, Brady romance. You know what I don't understand? If Cynthia Nixon is in fact not a redhead or Miranda is in fact not a redhead, why does Brady have red hair? That recessive gene. (laughs) Whose side of the family was that recessive gene on? The milkman. But yeah, it was great. And everyone seemingly in that scene, from what we could tell from the paparazzi photos, Carrie, and we finally got a Carrie Bradshaw outfit. It was, I mean, I think by far the best outfit we've seen her in. It was a menswear look. She wore it like oversized cream like sort of rose style blazer she had a flower brooch that she had previously worn on the series during that era where she was dating the politician with the piss fetish this is how our beautiful minds work because you were like i think that is the same brooch from season three and then my mind just went i was like it's from this episode and i like within a minute realized what episode it was very impressive and then she also wore the signature Manolo she also wore the signature blue satin Manolos that she got married to Big in, which they've really held up. Someone commented when we did the post that she probably only wears it for special occasions. Yeah. And she's really going from taxi or Is your Uber. friend's high school graduation a special occasion, though? I mean, it's special enough that Stanford and Anthony are there. Well, they're kind of like their uncles now. Gunkles? Yeah. Do you think they call oh, them gunkles? Is that a term that exists? Of I hate course that. it is. I hate that. You know us cisheads are the worst. <laughs> anyway, we got everyone. We got Evan Handler. Uh, we got Kristen Davis. We got... Okay, I really liked that Kristen and her daughter, Charlotte and her daughters were all in matching dresses, basically. Yes. I forget who designed Kristen's. I know the daughters were Oscar de la Renta, but Kristen's was something else. 
whatever, who cares? Anyway, my point is when you're a teenager, like that's the last time you want to do a matching outfit with your mom. Like you'd rather die. I feel like Charlotte doesn't give them a choice. I think they just enter their bedrooms and their outfits are waiting there like that. I was also thinking of how like pissed Oscar de la Renta PR was going to be when they saw that like, I don't know, the quirky one that had the little kitten hat and the like Rose Golden Blonde. Yeah, they saw Rose, like the way that they styled that dress on Rose. Like, you know, because, you know, they're sending it hoping that it's going to be on SJP. Right. (laughs) They're like, fuck. Anyway, Um, do we want to talk about how the photo you saw of the post we did from this shoot is our first attempt at licensing a photograph? There is a lot of demand for the paparazzi photos from Sex in the City. And there are a lot of fan accounts, other fan accounts that have been harassed, had photos flagged and taken down off of Instagram by angry paparazzos, basically. Who knew they were such unwell-adjusted people? Yeah, exactly. And we know accounts that are on the verge of being deleted, which obviously we don't want to happen to us. And because the, if they if your photos are flagged enough, they will delete your account. The other side of this uh, is that we also know someone who is a hairstylist who posted a paparazzi photo of his client and was sued by the paparazzi and had to pay him, you know, seven figures on top of legal fees, like a terrible situation that we believe that we are vulnerable to. We know that it's only a matter of time before someone comes after us. Right. If we posted a photo that wasn't legally obtained. Right, exactly. Cut to me calling Getty Images trying to set up accounts. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't as bad as we thought it would be, but it's not great. I mean, honestly, if anyone listening works at Getty Images or Wire Image, which Getty Image also owns, or Splash News and wants to give us a deal, contact us. Oh, yeah. That's the spawn we are definitely looking for. Yeah. Because, guys, I cannot explain to you, we don't make money from this. And now we're, like, spending hundreds well, of I mean, dollars. Well, I mean, we do. We just don't make... There's no direct co- correlation between having X amount of followers and making money. I mean, we make money through through merch, through events, through brand partnerships, through consulting work, all of these things. So anyway, I pitched to Chelsea like Diet Prada has a GoFundMe for their legal fund in their lawsuit against Dolce & Gabbana. Potentially, maybe (laughs) we'll have a GoFundMe for our paparazzi. Just for buying Getty Images. No, we'll never do that to you guys. Well, also, this is why we really, really appreciate the fact that so many of our incredible followers, followers, people that live in New York have been sending us videos of the filming because if we can post those, we don't have to buy images from Getty or, you know, what have you. It cuts down on the overhead for (laughs) sure. So thank you to everyone that has been sending us stuff. It's been really amazing to see. So anyway, on Tuesday, Sarah Jessica Parker was seen having a heated discussion with Natasha at a coffee shop. So she ruined her lunch again. And her coffee. (laughs) And this ice macchiato. Macchiato? This is a cappuccino girl, or maybe an iced matcha latte girl. Are we talking about Natasha or Carrie? I mean, either, honestly. So Carrie was seen with the Balenciaga Gucci bag, which you knew was bound to happen. Yeah. But it was nice seeing something that isn't in stores. And we understand we've gotten the DMs. There's some discourse about because, and just like that closet said that the dress she was wearing is Forever 21. 
It might be, it might just be a vintage Indian dress of some kind that Forever 21 has copied. I mean, we don't really know. So that is all we will be commenting on that outfit. Although I did notice that she's speaking on a flip phone. I think Carrie has an Android. Because in the scene before she walks into the coffee shop, she's on her phone, which I love that these outdoor scenes, Carrie is either sitting down eating or on the street on the phone with someone. Mm -hmm. I wonder if the voiceovers are dead and we're just doing this through. Well, no, the voiceovers aren't dead because that's going to be the podcast. Right. Which I don't think we explicitly talked about when we were talking about the leaked script page in the last episode, but that confirmed that, yes, Carrie has her own podcast. Do you think it's called And Just Like That? It has to be. I mean, it should be called Keep Calm and Carry On if they want, like, that sort of, like, clickbaity, like, lady boss vibe. Girl boss. I was going to say... Well, no, no, lady gang. That's what it is. Uh, I was going to say it should be called I Couldn't Help But Wonder. Yeah. And it's an advice show. Yeah. Anyway, the Daily Mail, which we posted on stories, which I've been saying since they started shooting, there's no way that there's not going to be a second season of this show. No, of course not. And they probably haven't killed Samantha because this Daily Mail story made it seem like the door is open for Kim. So Samantha's probably off somewhere. Yeah. On Wednesday, they announced a new cast member who hasn't been seen shooting. This kid, Isaac Powell, who's been in Dear Evan Hansen and Modern Love, he will play George, a student at the famed Fashion Institute of Technology who is unconstrained by fashion gender norms. He's described as having a calm demeanor and self-possessed energy beyond his years. Okay. I like that it's more, they're really heavy on the Gen Z casting and not millennial casting, because that was my fear, is that there would be kind of 30-year-old avatars for each Charlotte, Miranda, and Carrie. And it seems like we're focusing on the kids. So I don't know if this is Lily's boyfriend at FIT or something. Yeah. I just found it interesting. There's a very thoughty V-Man cover. Yeah, I'm down. Honestly, I'm excited. They're taking a lot of turns that I'm pretty good at figuring out like, oh, this is probably what they're going to do. But I haven't been able to anticipate any of this. And I'm genuinely excited. Yeah. I mean, I think Natasha coming back is a really beautiful thing for everyone. I don't know why my voice is so hoarse. Because I was just sobbing hysterically after watching Dan Cook's stand-up. Dane Cook? Dane Cook's (laughs) stand-up. We're now being joined by Kathleen Turner on this podcast. Okay, so shall we move on from this like psychotic discussion of of Sex and the City and yes. Us? Yes. Our second book, Sex and the City and Us. That was there's literally already been a book God damn called it. that. Last week, HBO debuted a documentary called Woodstock 99, Peace, Love, Rage. The documentary... (laughs) Sorry, that was a very, like, NPR transition. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, The documentary goes over the complete shit show that was the sequel reboot to Woodstock 69 and Woodstock 94's musical festival that devolved into a new metal chaos (laughs) that ended in uh, fires and multiple sexual assaults. For those of you who have forgotten the lineup, Metallica, Limp Bizkit, Kid Rock, Corn, um, Corn, Insane Clown Posse, Buck Cherry. Right. There was like no women. Well, no. On this. There was a woman each night of the show. 
and those were like the not correct women to be there. It was, it was like Cheryl Crow one night, Friday night, Saturday was Alanis Morissette, and then Sunday was Jewel. Can you believe that Jewel had to perform foolish games in front of a bunch of like disgusting shirtless guys wearing cargo shorts? Like it's just like too preposterous to imagine. The documentary was illuminating because I remember that it was complete chaos and it ended with these fires, but I didn't realize how much of a shit show it was. I was like breathlessly watching MTV's coverage of this because they were the only people really covering it at the time because it was like pre-internet. Well, don't forget there was a pay-per-view package. Yeah, I didn't get that because I didn't care about any of the bands that were playing. No, I mean, come on. Just look at this Sunday night lineup. It was Jewel into Creed featuring Robbie Krieger because there were like certain bands that were trying to give a nod to the 1960s. So Creed, of all bands, brought out Robbie Krieger from the doors and sang Roadhouse Blues. And then it like in the documentary just cuts to a guy who's like 40 now, but was obviously 20 at the time. And he was like, no one wanted to see that. No, it was it was really like the wrong audience to do that sort of thing. But that was all that was all in the programming. I mean, they didn't need to program it like this. And they kept trying to make this point throughout the documentary. It's like, oh, well, we went from like Nirvana to new metal. And then like after Woodstock 99, the backlash was so strong that like Coachella was created. But it's like, that's not true. Like Glastonbury was fully happening at the same time. Woodstock 99 could have been headlined by Radiohead, the Beastie Boys, Bjork, whoever. And, and Coachella also, like already, I think, existed at that point. No? I think at the end of the documentary, they say the first Coachella happened a couple of months later and everyone got a free water bottle because that was also the thing is it was a complete corporate nostalgia money grab so Woodstock 94 was so successful which my memory as a child was that that was the shit show one because it rained so much and it gave the like infamous Green Day performance where they were throwing mud at people the Nine Inch Nails performance where Trent yeah. Reznor's covered in mud that's what I remember from that but I guess it was so successful that that then the promoters who were the original promoters from the 69 concert were like, oh, we could just do this every five years. This is great. We can make a ton of money from this. But Let's the- get Andy Dick to do a comedy <laughs> set. Also, is that on YouTube? Because I really need to know what Andy Dick's Woodstock 99 set was like. Also, no one at any point is just like, yeah, it was a bad era and bad choices were made. Because seemingly there's a... Well, that's just bad programming. It wasn't a bad era. It was a great era for music. It's like you chose to go in this very specific direction. Yeah, and I think they make too fine of a point of trying to draw this line from the the moshing shirtless white man crowd that was listening to corn and breaking shit during Limp Bizkit and setting fires and assaulting women to the guys that were taking part in the insurrection. And it's like, I, I see what you're trying to do there, but I, no. I'm sorry. I'm sure there was overlap in that Venn diagram. Like people that were at Woodstock 90, what if it was all the same people? <laughs> I think that a lot of people that listen to Kid Rock or Limp Bizkit, you know, in the 90s probably went to the insurrection. I'm not saying it was because they listened to Limp Bizkit's break stuff. I think that's like a really preposterous argument to make. The other fatal flaw, it seems, that the club promoters, what they took from Woodstock 94 was that too many people were able to break through the fence. So they needed a place with a real solid fence that no one could sneak into the concert. So they found this airport base 
in Rome, New York, which I needed the mayor of Rome, New York, to be interviewed because they show all this archival footage of him being so excited about how much money it was going to bring to the town. They couldn't. He was murdered at Woodstock 99. (laughs) (laughs) There were so many things I didn't even know about, think about, like the moment where Kid Rock on stage says, I just want to take the time to say that Monica Lewinsky's a whore and Bill Clinton is a pimp. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't love Kid Rock, right? Right, ladies? Just kidding. Yeah. Only one promoter agreed to be interviewed for this documentary, and you could tell he really thought he was going to come out great in the edit. And he, amongst other things, blames Limp Bizkit for causing all of the chaos and the property destruction. Okay, it's like... They can't help that Break Stuff is an objectively good song. To this day, Break Stuff is a banger. I hate Limp Bizkit's entire catalog, but sometimes it's just one of those days. Where you don't want to wake up? Everything is fucked. Everybody sucks, you know? And you have to listen to that song. And you can justify ripping someone's head off? Because it's... Because, you know, some bad days you have enough bad things happen to you that you turn into a toddler emotionally. And that's like where... That's the sort of mindset that that song comes from. But there's no acknowledgement from the promoter that maybe people were angry because they decided to have it on an army base that was covered in asphalt. It was 100 degrees because they decided it should be in July. They charged $4 for water, which was the same price as beer, so everyone was super drunk. And then they started ripping like the wood boards and crowd surfing. Needless to say, Moby felt very unsafe. And he's too much of an empath. Is that, wait, is that how you say it? Empath? empath yeah he's he's too much of an empath to like be in an environment like that bless him i thought that moby's firsthand experience of it was i guess closer to i how i imagine i would feel in that environment right his point was when you tour so much you get an instant vibe from places and you instantly got a bad vibe which is like yeah well it's yeah if you look at this crowd if you look out of (laughs) a sea of frat boys that are shirtless wearing cargo shorts, literally covered in human shit and wondering why they can't get any pussy. I mean, obviously that's not your crowd, you know? They were covered in human shit because after day two, the porta-potties overflowed because again, the promoters only ordered 2,000 porta-potties that were not cleaned enough for 400,000 people. I'm shocked that more people didn't leave. It's it's crazy because to me, if hell exists and if hell is personalized for each person in hell, then I think my hell is being at Woodstock 99 and never being able to leave and it just repeating over and over again and I can never get backstage credentials. I think even if you had backstage credentials, it wasn't that great. Kurt Loder was like, I feel like a war correspondent. Kurt Loder and Carson Daly fully turned into Anderson Cooper covering Hurricane Katrina during Woodstock 99. They say that Viacom on day three on Sunday was like, we can't guarantee your safety, so you guys are on your own. So you can leave, you can stay, you can do whatever you want, which is crazy because they made that call before the fires even started, which I always wondered how those fires started. And the fact that in this documentary, you learn that they were doing a candlelight vigil 
for Columbine, which had happened four months before. And so fucked up. It's funny that I guess the thing that kept the fire Festival from going completely tits up and apocalyptic is ironically the fact that they didn't give anyone fire. Yeah, there was no, there was no real fire there. And well, the- also the Red Hot Chili Peppers were playing during this, which was weird. You would think it would be like Metallica or Limp Bizkit or something. Metallica played the second night, but Red Hot Chili Peppers had their comeback album that year. So like they were the biggest thing in 99, 2000. But you know what really traumatized me? Uh, all the women who were sexually assaulted? Well, that obviously, but I was going to say seeing Flea's full cock and balls in this documentary. There wasn't enough pixelation in this documentary, for one thing. Yeah, they make a big point about how women were abused and groped and sexually assaulted, but how they show that is showing women's full tits uncensored, their faces uncensored, and it's awfully presumptuous of them to think everyone in that footage is over 18. No, fully. Look how gross it is that these women's tits were groped, and we're going to show you that by showing their tits. Well, also, like, I don't think if the documentarians were, like, upset about, like, the aesthetic merits of pixelation, I think that's bullshit, because that does then make it look more like Girls Gone Wild or something like that. And that was the same era as Woodstock 99. So I think a lot of women and men did have that kind of mentality around it, because Woodstock was so associated with free love and all of that stuff, that this, of course, was just, like, the disgusting, depraved 90s version of that. Uh, Yes, and also that same promoter that blamed Fred Durst for starting everything and the Red Hot Chili Peppers for starting all the fires even though they were on stage also had the nerve to say hey I'm not gonna say that the women were asking for it but you know if you're topless what do you think is gonna happen and was like whoa yeah he was a real piece of shit and also at the end of the documentary they were like so are you gonna do another Woodstock and he was like uh never say never I was like I'd say never dude I actually think the grossest part was when Dave Matthews, as if he couldn't be grosser or more lame, started, said something to the effect of like, ooh, like there's an abundance of titties here. Yeah, you know things are fucked. It's like you have an abundance of sweat stains, sir. Like, Jesus. Yeah, you know things are fucked when it's the lead singer of The Offspring who's making the comment about the gross groping in the mosh pit and Dave Matthews is the one who's like, yeah. Yeah, it's like, don't make me like The Offspring. (laughs) What the fuck is this? But this documentary did make me look back at my own love of Limp Bizkit, which I'll just admit it here. I I love them. <laughs> I'll just say it. It's a safe space. It's okay. Can I take a moment to discuss how Nookie is actually this subversive alpha male anthem? Because, like, it's actually about the fragility of the male ego after being cucked. I mean, you're not wrong. He was the laughing stock of the neighborhood. <laughs> right, because everyone knows the chorus, which is, I did it all for the nookie, but all the verses are him just being very sad that his girlfriend cheated on him and everyone's laughing at him. I feel like if that song was rewritten today, the part where he's like, like a chump, he would just say like a cuck, because that's what it's about. Fred Durst, brilliant satirist. We didn't even get it at the time. You know, I wonder what how Fred Durst feels about the red hat appropriation. Because remember when red baseball hats just meant fan of Limp Biscuit? Do you think they had to take that out of their merch in the last five years? They were like, get rid of those red hats, get rid of those red hats. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's a good documentary to watch. Very depressing, though. Yeah. It's on Netflix. The one thing that's not on HBO Max? No, it's on HBO Max. Oh. <laughs> nope. <laughs> really? Yeah. Fuck. HBO Max. <laughs> 
what are you guys going to pay us? I mean, why would why would they? We've been doing free spawn for HBO Max for like five years now. I will try to get through this without having a spontaneous orgasm. Okay. My week was upended by this Adam Driver Burberry Hero ad. It features Adam Driver and his rock hard abs running, which reminded me of, uh, was it the end of season two of Girls where he's like running to get to Hannah? Because she's having some sort of OCD meltdown. Yeah. Uh, except this time he's running into the ocean after a horse, with a horse. Then there's a lot of him in the ocean with a horse. And maybe he fucks a horse or eats the horse because the end shot of the ad (laughs) is this out of focus thing where the top is adam driver and the bottom's a horse which means it's an adam driver centaur it's like don't blur that out (laughs) how did they convince adam driver to do this I don't think he needed that much convincing. I think history has shown that like men are willing to do very humiliating fragrance commercials. It's just what they do. Although at, at least Adam Driver was spared of having to do a really ridiculous voiceover, which kind of sucks. Like you hear him say, Burberry Hero, the new fragrance for men. We didn't get one of those fabulous like Zoolander type monologues where he's like, Moisture is the essence of That's what we needed. I don't understand. This ad is obviously for women who are obsessed with Adam Driver like myself. Like, what guy looks at this ad and is like, oh, I gotta buy Burberry Hero. Also, I think guys want to be Adam Driver. I think guys want to be... They watch Star Wars. They want to be Adam Driver. I guess so, but why is it called Hero? Like, if the perfume was called Metamorphosis, the centaur ad would make a little more sense. Yeah, it's true. I mean, do you think that they taught him to swim with horses during his, like, Marines training, or is that... (laughs) No, 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 I don't think that's... That's the voiceover he should do. When I was in the army. No, the, the, what is it? Like, the few, the proud, the Marines? Oh, for the Marines? I don't know about that. Do you remember those Old Spice centaur commercials from like six or seven years ago? Right, but those are funny. It was funny, but I remember Dan Savage sort of had this like recurring joke about them on his podcast where he was convinced that children would watch this and then grow up to have like unattainable centaur fetishes (laughs) that they can never like actually realize until like sex robots become more of a thing. As someone who's very excited to see Nicolas Cage's film Pig, and then we just watched the... Uh, the, the lamb trailer? The Nomi Rapaz lamb trailer, where she raises a half-lamb, half-human baby, question mark? I don't think it's a half-human. I think it's literally just a lamb. That they treat like a human? Yeah. Anyway, I need, like, an Ari Aster film about Adam Driver being a sexually deviant <laughs> centaur. centaur. Me too. And I understand we're writers, but it's like, this feels like Ari Aster's territory. Totally. What's the most shocking thing is that Gucci didn't get to Adam Driver before this. I believe we suggested this in an earlier episode of this podcast that he should do like a Gucci fragrance ad when the House of Gucci film comes out. His appearance in this ad, you know that he has some sort of non-compete with other fashion brands. So I don't even think we're going to get him and Gucci for the House of Gucci press tour. He's going to be in like fuck. Boy, Burberry shit now. 
I don't think that Burberry is the correct brand for him. I don't think that Gucci is the correct brand for him either. I think the correct brand for him is Prada. That's what he looks like. He, you know, if I was Prada, I would have him do the fragrance campaign and then I would have him walk in the show kind of like they did during that one show where it was like Adrian Brody and like Willem Dafoe and like Gary Tim Oldman. Roth and shit. Yeah. 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 Why is it so hard to make a good perfume ad? It feels like it should be so easy and they're all so ridiculous. Well, I feel like it's kind of the same problem that we have with fashion films, which is that they just end up feeling like music videos without musicians. Like it's, and there's something inherently awkward about that. Especially like now that they don't have like really like strong concepts behind them. Like I think if you look at like a John Paul Goode Chanel perfume commercial like that's a great commercial but I think most perfume commercials end up being these really like cheesy convoluted sort of like all those terrible Charlize Theron Dior commercials or that like Miss Dior Cherie commercial with Natalie Portman even though she has children yet is still Miss Dior I don't I don't get it she's 39 I'm sorry at what point like just can you not be the spokesperson for a young and quirky fragrance but also there was that weird ad where the whole campaign was like what would you do for love but then it had this like weird domestic violence undertone where she was like i love you it really they do feel like as stupid as that zoolander like wetness is the essence of moisture or whatever and that was for evian that wasn't even for a perfume you know what it wasn't evian it was an aveda ad although that's kind of awkward because the mermaid itself was a very clear copy of those Evian ads. It worked on me. I thought it was Evian. I think we can both agree that the only successful perfume ad with like a quote unquote celebrity of the last five years would be the Spike Jones, Margaret Qualley, Kenzo ad. A thousand percent. One of the greatest perfume commercials ever, honestly. I think also what's gone awry is, right, in the 80s you have those insane Calvin Klein commercials. She inflamed my senses. When she had devoured my very soul, please, when I had nothing left to surrender, she abandoned me to the wreckage of myself. In the kingdom of passion, the ruler is obsession. Those were amazing. Calvin Klein has incredible commercials. Right, that but I will say. Those were models. And then somewhere in the late 90s to now, we just put mega famous actors. And I think that's where shit just started to go awry. And people don't know what to do. And they feel like it needs to be a high concept thing as opposed to like Liz Taylor's White Diamonds. Like just. You know what? That's what we needed. We needed Adam Driver like taking off a diamond earring, <laughs> throwing it on a poker table, and saying, These have always brought me luck. Adam Driver, White Diamonds. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, White Diamonds was amazing. Or we need something like the the Charlie Revlon ads from the 70s and early 80s where there was like a theme song attached to the perfume name. There's a fragrance that's here today and they call it Charlie. Different fragrance that thinks your way. Yeah, they call it Charlie. The Charlie ads were very like simplistic in a good way, catchy, snappy, direct. It got the concept of the perfume and the Charlie woman across in like 15 seconds. Is Adam Driver doing anything for you? Can I make you a convert? No, I love Adam Driver. I mean, love him. But Chelsea, do you love him? You know, I'd love an entire album of him singing Stephen Sondheim songs. That's like my speed. Somebody sit in my chair and ruin my sleep and make me aware of being alive, being alive. 
So just before we started recording, we were having a lovely sweet green salad together and I opened up Business of Fashion and they had an article about the new Tiffany ad campaign. And I said to you over and over again, this isn't real. This, this is not, this is not actually what it is. And it was. And their new ad campaign is not your mother's Tiffany, but yet just- So rude. I mean, rude on multiple levels, which we'll get into, but- Sorry for cutting you off. No, no, no. And it's just models that are in what look to be either denim on denim, like Jenna Lyons era J. Crew styling. That's or, exactly what it is. Or J. Brand. Yeah. It, it looks like a J. Brand campaign. So you have a lot of audacity to say it's not your mother's Tiffany and bring out those kind of looks. Also, they do it in like the cheesiest sans serif typeface, which actually basically looks like very similar to the Dior We Should All Be Feminists shirts. The thing I'm most offended by is how lazy the copy is. I feel like I've seen many other brands use this tagline. I mean, there's literally a drugstore brand of hairstyling products called Not Your Mother's, right? Isn't it just called Not Your Mother's? Like you see it at CVS or whatever. Also, as a former copywriter, it's truly insulting to me because one of the Instagram handles is say hi to your mom for me. And suddenly it all clicked into place where I was like, oh, men wrote this. There's no way a woman wrote this copy because say hi to your mom for me is like a colloquial thing, like letting a guy know I fucked your mom. So say hi to her for me. Yeah. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, it's true. No one, no woman would write that. And they also don't have a Gen Z or millennial shopping problem. Well, Tiffany doesn't need a rebrand. Like, not everything needs a rebrand. Not everything needs to be a dumb millennial brand. Not every brand needs to pivot. And of course, like, it's disrespectful to Gen X and boomers and the people that buy Tiffany, you know? Also, and maybe this is me coming from a privileged position, but to me, my relationship with Tiffany is like, my grandmother has Tiffany jewelry. My mom has Tiffany jewelry. She... Yeah, like, it's literally your mother's. (laughs) It is my mom. (laughs) You know, she gifted me her Elsa Peretti cup so to me I would think the better ad is showing the multi-generationalness and the passing down of the Tiffany traditions to the next generation instead of like and also you can't do not your mom's Tiffany if you have a model wearing the same Elsa Peretti cuff that's existed for 40 years or it's like your mom it's like I feel like a lot of people get those heart-shaped Tiffany charm necklaces when they graduate from high school or sweet 16 or college or stuff it's like your mother is who buys this shit for you yes and as someone that recently went into tiffany because they were inspired by the halston series and i was like oh what other elsa peretti stuff can i get let me just tell you tiffany you're sold out of everything so why don't they have it online it's just they don't have anything in the store no 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 there's a bunch of stuff sold out online as well that's like literally like notify me when this elsa peretti cuff comes back in so you know what why don't first world problems (laughs) i understand that but like before we do a whole rebrand where you're like taking a shit on the 184 years of your existence like why don't you get your production under control no a thousand percent tiffany's ads like don't really speak to me in general or haven't spoken to me for a long time. Like I'm not not saying like they're pivoting away from something great because they're definitely pivoting away from something that's like really mediocre and boring and traditional. Yet I would prefer that to something like this, which is supposed to be a line in the sand for them, but it's it's not. It just ends up being sad and, you know. And the worst is 
that you know they spent millions of dollars at a creative agency to come up with this like the amount of hands and people that this went through from the concept to the tagline to the font to the model to the styling and this is what they came up with i know can they just give us like a thousand dollars to tell them that this is a bad idea and that twitter will hate this yes anyone who works at lvmh we are open to consulting yeah and we're cheap yeah um we'll work for sweet green salads <laughs> yeah truly so since we have a lack of kardashian news this week we thought we'd wrap up the episode with something different which is an in and out list shall i start sure all right telfar's olympic uniforms for liberia are in ralph lauren's olympic uniforms for the united states are out little nas x's industry baby is in da baby's completely deranged homophobic tirade is out brands with vowels are in Brands without vowels are out. See Yeezy Gap and this new Vetements dis- diffusion line where all of the vowels have been dropped. So it's just V-T-M-N-T-S. I hate this. DMX's Woodstock 99 outfit is in. And Jules Perm in the Woodstock 99 documentary is out. Kanye West living in a stadium like the Phantom of the Opera is in. Yeah, like the Phantom of the Opera, but instead of that like mask that covers half of its face, it's like a Margiela face stocking. And believing Kanye's lies when he announces a a record release date is out. I mean, he believes it's true when he says it. Does he? Or is he like me in an email? We're like, I'll have that to you by Friday. Like not entirely convinced if that's accurate or not. We're hoping for the best. Yeah. And of course, Adam Driver's horse cock is in. And Flea's cock and balls are out. Thank you guys for joining us as always. We'll see you next week. All right, bye guys. (laughs) 